Welcome to the podcast series, How She Leads. We are the hosts, Yu Bo Zhang and Julia Gooding. In each episode, we bring you interviews and inspirational stories from diverse female leaders to inspire girls and women across all backgrounds and cultures to lead with confidence. Good afternoon, everyone. Today we have Jessica Matthews with us, and I got to know Jessica from an education conference called Learning Forward last month in Nashville. I was so impressed by her keynote speech. So, so glad to have you here, Jessica, with us today. Would you like to start by introducing yourself and say hi to our audience? Hi, my name is Jessica Matthews. I'm a teacher in Flint, Michigan.、Uh, this is year number twenty-three for me, which doesn't feel like it, but it is. Is what it is. I'm a language arts teacher there. I teach juniors and seniors. Along with that, I'm an activist in different issues, including education, environmental, institutional spaces that need to be revamped. Now, how long you been a teacher? Twenty. This is year twenty-three. So I just finished semester for the fall. So we're at twenty-two point five. Year twenty-three. Wow. And you start. How did you start? Of、uh, wanted to be a teacher, and we know how. It is. <laughs> I've been this kind of since day twenty three years. Yeah, I always tell people it was not my goal to become a teacher. To be honest, my dad knew I was going to be a teacher when I was in fifth grade, but I denied it. I was just like, no, I don't want long hours, small pay, all those things, and I was in denial until my second year of college. And so when I got to the point where I started to think, well, maybe I am supposed to become a teacher. The thing that pushed me towards that area was the fact. That I didn't have a black teacher in my K through 12. There were a very limited number of people of color in my educational spaces. I never had them, and so I was like, I need to be what I wish I could have seen for a kid, and and that's what kind of pushed me into becoming a teacher. What was it about you that your dad saw from fifth grade or earlier? That he knew that that's what your destiny was. He he saw in fifth grade that I took my academics seriously. That was one. Even though I have no problems telling people I, I was a hot mess in fifth grade, <laughs> he saw that I didn't mind like helping people think things through.、Um, he mentioned it to me in fifth grade. I'm like, no. He mentioned it again in high school. I my first job I was a basketball referee for the youth league of my district, and he was like, you <laughs> you are going to be a teacher, and he pointed. Out like I didn't just call a foul. I had to explain to the kid why they got the foul and what they didn't need to do. And this is what I want you to do next time. And you know, and they do it. I'm like, oh my gosh, you just did that. Good job. He's he was like, you you scream teacher, and I, I fought it. I fought it hard. <laughs> But he was right. And you did mention that noticing the disparity between the student population and the teacher population, how you know not having a role model. In would you describe it a little bit as you grow up, or their influential teacher, though not African American, but touch upon your life, make you feel like you're very touched and would want to be one one day. What what are their style or anything special about them? Well, my. The first teachers are always the parents, and my mom made me a reader, so I'm an English teacher and a writer because of her.、Uh, she was very, very dedicated to ensuring that we all fell in love with books.、Mm. She even took us to a program during the summer at the library where you earn prizes for reading books. 
So the reading, writing half is mom as a teacher. My father saw I was going to be a teacher, but he also was the person who got me interested in examining society. So he is the more activist side of having me look at the world and question what's going on. So my the original teachers for me were my parents. In fifth and eighth grade, I had the same teacher, Mr. Gogus, my two worst years in education. I had the same guy. God bless that man. And he just, he saw that I was struggling, I think, with who I was and, you know, deciding like, is it okay for me to be smart? Is it okay for me to be outspoken? You know, those kinds of things. And worked with me all through fifth grade and then ended up being my English teacher in eighth grade. And once again, I was just doing the bare minimum at that point. And he was like, no, no, you don't, you don't get to be this. You don't get to do this. You are better than this. He, he pushed me. And so I, I'm lucky that I actually went back to the district I went to school at. Mm-hmm. And so when I went back, Mr. Gogus was a counselor there. And, you know, I was able to have chats with him. And he always, he told me, I always knew you'd be okay. I always knew it. I just didn't think you understood that you would be okay. So I, I do always shout him out. And I had a fantastic English teacher in 12th grade, uh, Marsha Sovi. She was the one who made me want to be a senior teacher, which I have been now for, I think this is year 19. <laughs> so she just was so energetic and just so fun and listened to us. And, you know, it wasn't necessarily the things she taught us. It was the way she taught us. And it was also, I knew she generally cared. Hmm. Like she was tough. So was Mr. Gogus, but they generally cared for me. And, and they, you know, still do. I, Marsha, I can still contact her. Um, Mr. Gogus, I know is in Florida living the good life. <laughs> so those are the two that just got me in the right space of, of coming to understand myself K through 12. Mm, that's really powerful to hear. Yeah, they, they kind of gave you permission to be yourself at those really critical moments of of accepting you just as you were. I'm, I'm wondering how you embody those lessons with your own students now, if you try and balance those elements of toughness and caring or how you try to to be for your students. I'm exactly like that. I, I, I am one of the, I have the rumor of being one of the toughest teachers in the building. And it's, you know, and it's funny because a couple of weeks ago, some seniors were talking with me and they're like, yeah, last year seniors like painted you to be like the bride of Satan. <laughs> and I was like, I'm sure they did, you know, like they, they, they were lazy. I said, guys, I need you to understand. I understand my role in education. And I also know that I'm not going to be appreciated until you leave. Yeah. There's nothing I'm doing to you that is for torture. What I am doing is I'm letting you get samples of the worlds you're about to walk into and understand what your potential really is. Mm-hmm. And for a lot of kids, they, you know, seniors like to coast. They like to use senioritis as an excuse. And it's just like, no, you, you got to be your best all the time. You're better than what you give. And so one thing I would say I took away from uh, Mr. Gogus and Ms. Sovi is like having fun for one. Like, yeah, we we can put work in, but we're going to have some moments that are fun. And two, how do I allow students to have a voice? Because so much of education is them listening to us, which it should not be. And it it should be giving them experiences to, you know, voice what they believe about the world and um, have conversations with not only me, but with people, other teachers and other people in the community. Those are the things that I enjoy putting with kids and letting them know that like, I can step back. Mm -hmm. I should step back. Mm -hmm. And usually when those moments happen, that's when they're the best. Like they do, they're way more creative than we are. Like the things they come up with, I'm just like, man, you're good. You know, (laughs) I just, I love seeing that with them. And so it's just, like I said, just taking that step back and just saying, okay, what what do you need to say and how can I help you? Yeah. So you mentioned that balance between the the tough teacher, you're still being tough, but then show care 
I feel like yeah. these are the two, it's, it's a balance of a teacher to, to keep. The, and, and when you look back, you actually appreciate it, right? You, you leave mm -hmm. and then you start to appreciate. How do you, because you, your role as a teacher, as a activist, how do you actually uh, just naturally connect uh, the English language arts teaching together with uh, like student advocacy? Are there particular pathologies that you think very helpful and engaging? Any specific examples you would like to share with us? I, I don't think I put it together until the Flint water crisis hit for our community. I didn't question what I was teaching. I was just doing what needed to be done. This is what everybody says you do. And I I didn't, when the Flint water crisis hit our community, I just started to realize like what truly matters. And I, I did some teacher consultant program for Michigan State. And I read a book called The Activist Learner. You know, I instantly fell in love with the book. I started to think about like, what could I do to integrate these different ways that I can give kids a voice into what I should have in an English classroom. And so I always tell people, you can't just hop up, go to your principal and be like, I'm going to change everything because they're not going to let you. But if you find some things to build up your educational street cred, you're, you're better. And so I read that book and I did some more studying and I went to my admin and I'm like, you know what, this, these are some shifts I want to do. And they trusted me in doing it. It worked out. And I've had these amazing experiences with kids. All goes back to what I was just saying, just giving them a voice and thinking of ways that you can lift them up and also thinking of ways to creatively give them the opportunities to do so. And so I just, I just flipped this script. I was like, I'm not going to read these books that they're not going to care about, but I know they're going to care about researching something they're passionate about. I know they're going to care about putting on events where they are the person that is the expert. And so I made those changes. I will never go back to the old way. If I am forced to go back to the old way, it's time for me to leave um, because it's just, it's not beneficial. Like it does sound like connecting to something is going on with, you know, in your community, being able to apply. And then we often think like English language arts, it's learning the language, but, but then you question like, how do we actually use the, the spoken language and written language to be, you know, in a way that empower, right? Those mm -hmm. that don't have a voice. Mm -hmm. uh, and you did mention this uh, not just, you know, African-American, but also Hispanic, Asian, not represented in the teaching force. What do you think uh, has been the root cause? Or if there's anything we can change, what can we do? I mean, maybe at the individual level, like your father <laughs> yeah, motivated you to be a teacher. That's all at the individual level. But I'm wondering at the societal level or system level, anything we can do to change? Well, we, we currently have an environment for many where they are doing everything they can to go against making sure that all kids are being seen right? Like what happened in Florida with the AP African-American course of saying that it's irrelevant. Like that literally for me as a teacher in Michigan was a slap in the face as a black woman. If children are not being seen, children do not see that they are valued in education. Uh, there's all these other obstacles there in the way to let us know that, especially for black and brown children, that it wasn't designed for them. And so the more we push into this space of saying, oh, we can't have African-American studies. We can't talk about LGBTQ plus communities. That's ridiculous. Kids love being seen, having some kind of connects. And so like, I am very purposeful in my class that in that first semester, I want as many communities seen as possible. And if I miss something, I will tell a kid, tell me something I missed and I will, I got it. I got it. And so I push forward Black scholars. I, I make sure that 
when we are talking about oppression, they're learning from an LGBTQ doctoral degree individual who is working with the homeless and teens because there's a large number of teens who are homeless because of them being LGBTQ plus. And so I make sure that we learn about hijabi women. I make sure that we do dear women's stories so my Native, Native American kids see it, hear it, feel honored. Everyone who makes these decisions about education obviously have not sat there and looked at a kid's smile when they feel seen. I, I it, it just drives me insane that we are in a situation where we're trying to take away from diversity and take away from learning each other's stories and make barriers for that. No one in education would, no one who is a true educator, I should say, would ever think that that's a good idea. Yeah, I, I'm... I completely agree. It feels like it's a very difficult time for especially black and brown children to be growing up and to not feel seen and not feel valued. So thank you so much for your work and your students are yeah, extremely blessed to to be with an educator who does see them and values them because I think that's there's there's just nothing like that. What what do you think in terms of, you know, there's kind of all of this these internal forces that young people People are dealing with today to whether it's just the you know racial violence and feeling not safe in many mm -hmm. places whether it's not being seen not seeing potential role models in many different ways and whether it's also the pandemic all the the pressure on mm -hmm. them of isolation mental health challenges the uncertainty of the world just political radicalizing of everything and then you know the adults who are supposed to be the responsible ones have just gone a little awol how do you see that over time of what do you notice in kids today as the evolution versus you know even like 10 years ago because you know yeah you you've seen kids continue to be in this critical phase in life so what are kids like for you today in your classroom i think it is incredibly difficult to be an educator right now all the things that you listed weigh heavily on the capability for them to be kids. Yeah. And so we have kids who are not doing well after coming out of isolation. We have kids who are behind, you know, and I, and here's the thing before I start to get on my soapbox about learning loss, because everyone loves to talk about learning loss. And I'm like, what kind of learning was technically loss? Now, I understand that according to standardized testing, that, that that's what they want to use, right? But I also have students that somehow figured out how to make their own schedule, to work, to um, look for information on their own that is reliable. They, they've done some things that we never would have done as children. Like they're not allowed to be kids. And when you force a generation to grow up too fast, there are going to be heavy consequences for that. I have wonderful kids. I tell people that all the time. I, and I do. I mean, we have, you know, there's stumbles here and there and I'm still exhausted, even with my wonderful kids, because there's a number of things that I am being forced to do that are, they, they were not <laughs> in my list of things I thought about 23 years ago when I got a degree, right? I'm not trained in things that you're asking me to do. Kids emotionally, mentally are not okay. And so as a teacher, you carry all those burdens, you, you carry it on you. And so that leads to burnout. I don't think any teachers recovered since COVID started. We're, we're always tired. I took today off for a doctor appointment. I'm still tired. 
<laughs> one day isn't going to do it. One break isn't going to do it. And teachers are so desperately looking for help on how to help these young folks, but there's no one to help. It's pretty much a figure it out as you go. And that's been part of education the whole time, but we can't keep doing it. That's why there's so many teachers that are leaving. Like they don't want to leave the kids. You see like the videos, it's heartbreaking to leave the kids, but they just know that they physically, emotionally, mentally can't do it anymore. And there are kids who feel that way that they don't want to do education anymore because it's just, it's just so much. And so unfortunately we had an opportunity to kind of reimagine things, but we didn't do it. We, we didn't, we didn't do an overhaul and say, you know what, education wasn't working before the pandemic. Let's change this up. And we, we have been forcing teachers and students back into that cookie cutter program and saying, well, you know what, this is what it was. Well, what it was, wasn't working. And so we need to have more opportunities for kids to talk about that. Oddly enough, my seniors right now are doing their what is school for project to kick off the semester where they get to talk about like, hey, this this is not this is what's not working, but this is things I can see that we need to institute in those spaces. Last year's group, they decided they wanted to talk to the principal about it. I text the principal and was like, my students want you. <laughs> You know, those kinds of things. So it's hard for young folks. It's hard for those. And when I say teacher, I'm talking about everybody. I'm talking about pair pros. I'm talking about those hall monitors. I'm talking about behavior specialists. Like all those people are educators and teachers. It's hard. It's really hard for all involved, but there's no real answers in sight. And that's the part that's crushing teachers. Yes, it does feel like we all exploring. I, I remember during the pandemic time, we were talking about build back better. Like that's a hope, right? But then it, once it, we come out of the pandemic, it seemed to be gone. Like we just naturally trying to be do the same, same old way because um, we think there's no other alternative. And I'm wondering then if we can name it. You mentioned we don't feel like we have answers, but a lot of time we just have to talk about it discuss and if we could change say things and help teachers to be successful in this country what would that be well, how that look like support would be one hearing stories of teachers juggling like 30 student classrooms where a third of them have IEPs <laughs> there's no way you can survive that without breaking down so support comes in many ways financial support to get the things that are needed um, in the classroom and to make, of course, education worthwhile. I, I financially in Michigan have decent money for a teacher, right? But I'm seeing some of these, these amounts that teachers are making around the country and that it, it's beyond ridiculous. We also need the financial support in buildings. Technology has never been equal in our country for any student. The pandemic came out and people were like, oh my gosh, what do you mean kids don't have Wi-Fi? What do you mean kids don't have a computer for every person in the house? They, they didn't have that before the pandemic. That like, it, it's outlandish to me how people just all of a sudden notice the technological gaps that we have. But those things can't happen in districts like mine in Flint without finding ways to get the funding to do it. And so there has to be funding and support. That's one. Number two, teachers need to be valued as experts. We are not. We see things that no one else is going to see. We see kids when they're struggling. We see kids when they need help. We we know it. But as many stories have shown us as of late, we go to an admin and then the, the admin is just like, oh, it's not that big a deal. And then something awful happens. 
right? And we see it all over TV. Teachers see things that other people don't. I, I was reading the other day about the teacher that was shot by the six-year-old student. She did the work before this all happened. She went and spoke and said, something's not right. We have to do something. There needs to be something provided. And she was ignored. And that is not out of the ordinary. That happens every day to educators. They're not seen as ex experts in their field, even though so many of them like have to get a master's degree, right? Have to continue to do credit. So if we're in any other job, we'd be seen as an expert in our field, but we are not and we are ignored. And that is a huge problem. I think the last thing is the vilification of teachers. I don't understand why there's such a need to find something to make it where my job is not valid. Don't you have the summers off? You know, those kinds of comments. Don't you get paid during the summer when you're not working? Are you really doing anything during the summer, during breaks? You only work 180 or for us, I think it's 182 days out of the year. You know, these kinds of comments. I put in work when I'm in the building. I put in work when I'm out the building. I put in work in any space that I need to fill. You would never ask any other profession to work nonstop. But for educators, we're supposed to. And so if you're making me the villain, you're not paying me my worth, you're not listening when I speak up, and you're ignoring that I need help, why Why would I want to keep pushing in this occupation? Yeah, it's a, it's a really disturbing, completely ongoing process of of also as you were talking about related to the get of just like not being seen and valued and um and it's you know when you look at other countries around the world where they have actually like successful education systems mm -hmm. it's because the teachers mm -hmm. are seen and valued and that's where it all begins yeah and it's almost like as you were saying you know your kids don't appreciate you necessarily until you're gone mm -hmm. it almost feels like that's what it is with teachers like mm -hmm. americans just like don't get it they don't and it's it's just completely taken for granted yeah I've, i worked a little bit in schools before and in, in teaching in a classroom and and i work i'm a college counselor um and so i work a lot with like your like grade 12 students too but i haven't been in a classroom in a while and part of it is just because because of that um so that it's just it was so much um mm -hmm. and so i i thank you for for your service for your many years of service because it is so much um it is yeah <laughs> it, it really is right now and yeah. i try to one thing that i think people don't understand is if even for people who taught six years ago right it is not the same six, as six years ago mm. the the pandemic if you've not taught kids during a pandemic right you don't know what's going on yeah yeah it's a lot harder now yes it's on top of the regular yeah i think we so um, I I came when you mentioned that the teacher respect. I think the second main point, not just funding support, but then just that respect to teacher. I came. Uh, I was born in Beijing, China. You know, things very competitive there. I resonate a lot. And the reason a lot of time we immigrate to this country, we love the uh, the liberation of the mind, the great you know education system. But once a year, you know, get the my kids uh, high, one high school, one middle school uh happened experience you know not a lot behind with the intensive you know uh standardized testing so it makes me almost feel like this trend is you know coming back and forth <laughs> unfortunately uh, we are in this uh, you mentioned that the child needs to be a child that mm -hmm. part missing but then just this anxiety competitiveness everything so competitive um mm -hmm. and then it gets a lot more pressure to the teachers as well 
So without the, you know, also the social status, social respect, it make it even harder for our teachers. And for 23 years, you have been in this teaching. It's definitely, um, it's a big commitment just given how hard it has been. But are there moments you're like, I just need to quit. I want to quit. And, and what actually keep you stay? Yes, there have been moments I've been like, I don't want to do this anymore. I, especially last year. Last year was the absolute worst year of teaching. It felt like constant chaos. I mean, when you have students come back out of isolation, some of them don't know how to interact with other people and constant conflicts in the building and, and defiance. And, and it, it was awful. I have no problem. And everyone, I will tell anyone like last year was absolutely awful. And when I got to the summer, I was like, I don't know if I can keep doing this. And there are days where it just hits you and you just sit there and you're like, you know, I, I'm in a very weird space in education. I, I tell people, people's like teacher purgatory because I'm I'm about to finish year 23. I've been in the game for so long. I'm almost there. I'm almost towards that 30 right? But then it's it's a very cruel thing in education that they dangle the pension over you. Can't have the pension if you don't hit 30 years. So you either say, forget it and maybe see what a new path is, or you say, I have to find a way to survive to get to that level. And you kind of ping pong back and forth with that when you're at the level I'm at. Kids will do things where I'm like, okay, yeah, I love teaching. I mean, that's it's always that way. They'll do something or say something silly where I'm like, okay, y'all are kind of cute today, right? But it's just, it's the growing stress of the job that is just so much where there are days that I go, I don't know if it's healthy for me to keep going. Um, I don't know a teacher who is not battling either depression or anxiety at this point. Um, I had to last year take initiative and be open and honest and, and say like, I'm not okay. The stress was getting to me. And so I had to, you know, take some steps and start to learn to like create my own safe spaces for myself and things like that. But there's, I mean, most teachers probably don't have that. And I have the cushion of the years. Uh, that's just, I, I'm a veteran teacher. I can do some things that newer teacher, I can't imagine being a new teacher right now. Like a first year teacher, I cannot. <laughs> God bless first year teachers. I say that to them all the time because you have got to be a special individual to walk into this setting and go, yeah, yeah, I'm good. I'm going to do this for another 30 years. Like it, 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 like I said, God bless first year teachers, but yes, it happens. I, I thought about it. I thought, where am I needed most? Am I really needed in this 11, 12 grade classroom or am I needed in other spaces? I'm very fortunate to have organizations that allow me, like, you know, inviting me to this podcast, this brings me joy. Doing that keynote, that brought me joy. So I do have other things outside of the classroom that are connected to education that still give me what I need. But most teachers don't have that. And that's why so many are like, I got to tap out and leaving in the middle of school years. You know what I mean? Like that's never happened before where teachers were like, no, I have to leave today. So, but those thoughts cross my mind. I can't help but, but cross my mind. Yeah. It seems, I mean, certainly during the pandemic, you know, there's just no boundaries for anything, you know, everything with working from home and everything else. And that it feels like it's just continuing to persist mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. feeling that, yeah, as you said, like there's just no space for yourself yeah. um, because everything is is just like kind of just suffocating in, yes. in a different way. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I was I was thinking about um, before you mentioned too of, of those different ways that you find joy. Um, mm -hmm. And I'm so happy that you have those. Um, but what are some other ways and practices that you found to be like helpful and nourishing and 
Um, and yeah, I mean, it sounds like you have your, the activist side of your, um, your life too, but what else, what else do you do to incorporate? One thing, and, and this is definitely for anyone, any job, but especially first year teachers, you got to create boundaries. Just like you were saying, the pandemic made it where teachers didn't have any space where we were supposed to be on call nonstop. You know, I had kids texting me at one in the morning, you know, things like that. And I, I realized that I never had time to breathe. So I have boundaries. And I stick to those boundaries. I, I will not work nonstop at home. I will not do it. Whatever is done when I'm at the school will be done. And it, whenever it gets done is when it gets done. I will not answer emails af, off the clock. I will not do meetings off the clock at school. I will not do any of those things because there needs to be an understanding that there's the work side of me and then there's the personal side of me. The personal side needs to listen or read a book before she goes to sleep. You know, um, she needs her her meditation app. Meditation got me through pandemic. Like I was meditating like crazy um, because of my anxiety. I got diagnosed with high functioning anxiety during the pandemic, mostly because of my job and always feeling like I couldn't sleep because I was always being on call for something. And so I had to set those boundaries and say, no, this is my time. I have just as much value as anybody else. During this time, I'm going to read a book, listen to an audio book, turn music on, um, look at TikTok because I'm officially on there. You know what I mean? Those things where I was just like, this is what I want to do because it's good for me. And then setting a schedule for myself of saying like, you're you're going to get in the bed at nine o'clock and you're going to listen to that audiobook or the Calm app at 9.30. You're going to cut the TV off so your brain can settle down. And so it was pretty much interesting enough. It's like the things that teachers teach others to do. I had to teach myself how to do it. I had to teach myself, set boundaries, have a, I always have a schedule. People make fun of me for that, but still have that schedule do self-care, be unapologetically yourself. Don't feel bad that you're not sitting there grading papers or, you know, I'm not making lessons. No, I don't feel bad about that because it'll get done. That's it. And that, and it's really hard for other people to deal with that. Like I have kids who will be like, oh, well, I emailed you. Yeah. You emailed me at like nine o'clock. I'm not a teacher at nine o'clock. Yeah. It, boundaries are number one. Though. Thank you for that great advice, especially for the first year teacher, as you said, right? You could easily mm -hmm. be drawn into all these things coming to you. That, that social emotional well-being it's so important a lot of time we're talking about yes uh, for both students and the teachers we need to make sure to have that time and space just mm -hmm. reserved for something that bring you pure joy and for students just being pure a, a kid yeah, we hope, uh, yeah, it, it's it's just hard with the technology and everything. You just feel like the pace of everything is very fast. And then the mindfulness meditation, hopefully will bring that more into the education because mm -hmm. we know it's important for social emotional well-being. And you have your side of being the activist and in your, on your website, you mentioned being a good trouble. That's a very mm -hmm. interesting, uh, Julia and I had a conversation about that. What do you consider as good trouble you know nowadays when we teach you don't get yourself in trouble but good trouble would you like to talk a little bit more and why it's important sometimes it's to be a good trouble uh, that that phrase comes from uh john lewis uh representative john lewis would always tell us to, to make good trouble and so um once again the doings of my father he always had me look at things um from the civil rights movement and i always was drawn to john lewis and the the concept of making good trouble and i think in education many 
times where we're supposed to just float and not make noise and um, just go, hey, it is the way it is. And that, that it is, it obviously hasn't worked. So I don't understand why people would think that we're just going to sit back and hope that it works out for us because it doesn't. Because what's happened, especially in education, if we don't speak up and tell our story, someone else will make the narrative for us. And we can't afford for that to happen any longer. Same thing with the water crisis. When the water crisis happened, it happened way before the news got a hold of it. The news got it after we had made many, you know, people started to speak up and um, and say, you know, some things weren't right and different things of that nature. And I started to just realize like being quiet is not going to get me or any people that look like me anywhere. So when you're doing good trouble, you're doing very strategic moves that people are like, God, that person's a troublemaker, but you know what you're doing is making the world a better place. So I, am I a troublemaker in my district? Absolutely. Everybody knows it. Everybody knows it. There have been times things have happened with kids and people are like, Jessica, did you do this? No, I didn't. And honestly, I didn't. But people know when it comes to good trouble that I'm going to be that person. You know, I've seen kids do amazing things. Like a couple of years ago with the school shooting, kids decided to do a sit-in at my building. It was the assumption that I organized it. I did not. But we learned about sit-ins. I taught about it. I talked about how to do different acts of protests without violence. But yeah, I did that. That's the good trouble I instilled in the kids. So they could go and do the good trouble in their way. I'm all about shaking things up in education, shaking things up in other institutions, calling out the things that have been wrong and unjust for generations. And I, if I'm doing it for the good of humankind, then I know I'm doing good trouble. I'm not just causing chaos. I, I want to make sure that those who are not seen or seen those people who are not heard, they get a microphone. Those people who have struggled, that they get the rewards and the wealth that they deserve. If I focus that way, that's what good trouble is. I love that. Have you seen over the years um, your students graduating and, and going on and do they come back to you as, mm -hmm. as good troublemakers? Or oh, yeah. Any examples of yeah, just I do, yeah, the world. Uh, yeah. I, I have uh, I've had kids make like their own charitable organizations. Um, I have uh, a kid. I talked about him in the speech. Who he decided to run for school board member uh, for the city of Flint school board, and he won. And yesterday they voted him in as vice president. He is 21 years old. Oh, and he's been voted in. And, and he was just like he wrote a message. He was like, "Hey, look, young people, stop thinking you're not supposed to have the space or the microphone." And he go. He knows he's got to make good trouble to change, you know, the school board and to push back on some different things. Um, I've had all kinds of things where uh, kids at protests. I've had kids do things on college campuses. It, they, like I said, they're more creative than I could ever be. So you know, there's things they'll do that I'm like, that's that's amazing. Um, my students organized a protest for after George Floyd died and they hit up a group of teachers and they were like hey this is what we're thinking they're going to do so they left me on the outskirts of it because they knew if anyone would get the heat from the school district it would be me so they were doing this to protect me and, but they knew how to do everything they knew you needed a permit they knew they had to use everyone's strengths to the best of their ability they they needed to make a map of, of how they're going to walk around the city. They can't just walk without having who should be on the microphone, who should do this, this, and this. And they're like, you've already taught us all this. Like, we, we, we got it. Now, unfortunately, of course, I still got in trouble about it, even though I had nothing to do with it. Um, but just knowing that these kids could do this 
And, um, you know, they were worried no one would come by the end. They had 300 people with them walking through the city. They will be way better at good trouble than any of us. Just giving them history about why we need it and examples and having them process it. That That's all I need to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we know like standing up against injustice is not easy, um, especially if, you know, being in a very suppressive cultural or system. Um, and there's a price to pay, right? Sometimes, you know, I love the movie, the, That Police Society has always been one um, that inspired me where, but you do see like there is price sometimes needs to be paid. Freedom is not free, right? A lot of time. Mm-hmm. Um, wondering if like personality wise, it will play a role or do you, it, we think it should be a teachable skill regardless of personality. You know, people more, some more vocal, some less vocal. Um, how do you handle when you, when you see all your students, they are all for different personalities. Do you feel like this is really a teachable skill to all? Uh, mm-hmm. They could potentially succeed no matter, you know, how quiet they have been. Uh, it, it's a teachable skill because everyone has their own creativity, right? So for some kids, they are a master of words. Can They can talk to a crowd, right? But then on the other hand, I will have a quiet girl in class who makes beautiful pieces of art. That is still a way of protest. And then I'll have another kid who's a gamer. So he's great at technology. He can figure out a way to play a game or make a game to have people interact in that space. Like, I think we get too hung up on thinking that only activism is getting on a mic. And that is not it. It it is all different spaces, all different ways of inabilities of having a way to use your voice. That's why with my class, I don't focus just on talking. Like I can't just do that. So talking in front of people is part of it. Doing a podcast with a group of friends is another one. Making an infographic on a topic is another way. Drawing or making something on Canva is another way. So it's it's all these different pieces to reach out how you know you're, you have the biggest skill. Um, I've had kids who've written songs. I've had kids do better on video because there's no one staring at them, right? So they'd rather make a video to share. They do that. I had one kid who made a, his friend passed away from suicide. He picked suicide awareness as his focus. So he made a tombstone and he had lights around it. And then he had little cards that said, you know, if you need help, this is where you reach out. That's beautiful activism there. He didn't say a word to anybody. Yeah, I love it. I yeah. love the, the idea that they can re- release their full potential, whatever that strength is. So it's not like one size fits all, one the cookie cutter type. You just have to see their potential as a unique individual. And then how do you develop that, the scuffle of that in their way, rather than, mm-hmm. oh, everybody have to do this to be a, you know. Um, so love it. That's definitely. I'm wondering then, um, Especially if we talk about it for girls, of course, there's intersectionality. Girls, not just girls, they have a lot of other identities. But sometimes just being, you know, a female girl can have some disadvantage. I'm wondering what kind of advice you would give in general, you know, as young girls' professions, they're trying to find, find their passion, find joy in life, what advice you may have. I think as women, we are often being pushed towards silence. It, silence is rewarded for women. Um, and there were times, especially K through 12, that I was forced into silence instead of speaking up. And so like many I, kids will ask me all the time, 
especially quiet kids, like I'll tell them you're stronger than what you know. And, you know, I've had times where I've sat there and I've just processed and I've had times when I could speak out because I was afraid of getting in trouble. And I've, I've had probably these experiences that you've thought of, but you're stronger than what you think you are. I, I wish someone could have told me that when I was younger, like a teacher, especially a teacher that looked like me. I could say you're stronger than what you think you are. And so one of the best things with doing like the different things I've done in class is when this this quiet girl flourishes. And there's always a every year, there's one of the quietest girls who does something that everyone's like, whoa, that's amazing. I had a girl who um, she decided to choose um, sexual assault as her um, focus area. And I knew in speaking to her that it had happened to her. And so she's super quiet. And I was like, I'm not asking you to be someone who's who you're not. I want you to be who you are, but how can we show how strong you are? And so when we had our event, what she did is she had people write letters. That was her way of dealing with it, is writing letters in order to let go. And so people who visited her, she didn't sit there and talk at them. She explained like, this is my focus area. This is where my passion comes from. Would you like to write a letter to someone you need to just let it all out about? And it was one of the kids love that area. And the next day, everyone's cheering on the quietest girl in the class. And she just smiled. And, and oddly enough, she sent me a message the other day. I had a bad day at work. And she was just like, I just want you to remember you're amazing. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and so it's girls, your your voice is so needed. It's stronger than you can ever imagine. And you got to speak your truth. Because if you don't, someone is going to create it for you. What was the event that you mentioned? So you, you were having your students come up with oh, different yeah, so- Every year um, at the end of senior year, this is going to be year number, I think, six, uh, I put an event called Cavalier Activism Day. My senior classes take over the cafeteria and they build booths for people to visit. And for half of the day, teachers sign up, they bring their kids and they the, their kids come and visit mine and they have conversations on social justice areas that they focus on. Mm-hmm. So they they literally take over the cafeteria. It, it's the things they've come up with. I'm just like, there's no way. I would never, you know what I mean? <laughs> they, they've made these booths. My, one of my favorite ones was a girl who built her own Barbie box and people could go in the Barbie box and take pictures because she was talking about uh, body shaming and how everybody could be Barbie. Mm-hmm. It, it was just stunning. Um, and last year there was a girl who had an area where it was interactive, where she had games. Like it's, it's this whole thing. I give them in the second semester of my class, they have a lot of freedom. They get to pick whatever topic they are passionate about. And so I always tell them, you're working up for this moment because this is huge. We're going to invite your parents. We're going to invite your grandparents, other people in the community, school. And and we have had people just like come up and have these conversations and get this information about these topics. And every year adults are floored. Um, I don't do anything. The only thing I do is announce when people need to leave. (laughs) Kids are in charge of the the whole session. And each year it gets better and better with the things they think of. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, I love the the orientation toward yeah creativity and and yeah creating, um, yeah how they how they see the world and how they see possible solutions or ways to approach issues. Mm-hmm. Um, that's really cool. And um, you know, as you you've said a couple of times that the kids are so creative it, um, and just it, it sounds like there's at least some element of of hope and optimism there for like the younger generation as mm-hmm. whatever craziness as the adult world is right now. Mm-hmm. Um, do you feel 
hopeful or optimistic in seeing how your kids are? I I mean, I'm not going to act like they don't do stuff that makes me blink slow. <laughs> you know what I mean? There's there's some things I do. I'm like, I, yeah. like, you know what I mean? Like activism day tends to be that moment when I know my seniors are ready to go, where I'm like, uh, you know, knock on wood, I have never been disappointed where I sat back and gone, these kids are just, no, that by that point, that's why seniors are awesome for me. Most people will not touch seniors. I love it because when we get into that March, April time, they're no longer high schoolers. They're, they're just young adults and, and you can interact with them as such. And giving them that creative freedom and seeing them flourish with it, it that tends to be the moment where I'm like, okay, this, this teaching thing is worth it. <laughs> This, this is this is what I love to see and lets me know that I still have my purpose here. You know, um, I just think that this younger generation, despite, you know, each generation has their issues, but they they're more understanding. Um, they demand more. They, they don't sit back and just say what well, it is, what it is. No, they demand more. And I respect that. Mm -hmm. I respect that a whole bunch. Um, they are way more accepting of one another, of yeah. just you know, as long as you're a good human, they, at my building, at least, um, if you're a good human, you got nothing to worry about. They're not sitting up here, you know, the majority of them. And if somebody does something, they'll call it out, which I do appreciate. Like if someone does something that's inappropriate, they'd be like, hey, yo, yo, come on out. We still have more to work out on that because seniors do it, but not other group grades, right? Um, but the, the new generation, I just love that they demand for a better space. We should have gave them a better world. We did not. And so they're going to demand that we do better. And then when they take over, they will make it better. I'm curious as um, my final question is, what book are you reading right now? Or what book have you read lately? Oh, that, my goodness. Love? I'm reading. A, I'm one of those people who reads a couple books. I'm kind of out of yeah. control. Read or listen to, I guess. If you so I have one book. I can't talk about a friend of mine. I'm reading it for her because she's going to put it out soon. Oh, wonderful. Where, where is it? Yeah, see, it's crazy because I'll have the audiobook going. I'm looking to see which one I, I just finished up. Um, I just finished up hell of a book. That was an interesting read. I'm going to my app to see what book. I just picked up Shine. I'm gonna I'm gonna hop into that. Um, I have the current read I have is um disability invisibility. I think that's it. I'm looking up so I don't mess it up. But it's they have one for adults. But I have the the youth one because I wanted to know if I wanted to use um, any of the stories in class because um, I'm I'm very big on making sure once again like all kids are seen and I think what happens a lot of times is we we think so much in ableistic spaces that we don't even think about the disabilities of people we don't see uh -huh. and so um, this year I've been very, focused very heavily on talking about ableism uh -huh. and seeing it in spaces and even if you are able to do it that does not mean everyone else is uh -huh. yeah it's called disability visibility first person stories from the 21st century and um it's a bunch of short vignettes of people with different kinds of disabilities talking about their world the good the bad the ugly and so that is my book sitting at my desk at school so I can kids will see me read it and be like oh what are you reading there you know what I mean kind of thing yeah. um, my goal is to read 52 books by the end of the school year I think I'm on number 29 so I'm doing pretty good yeah wow. <laughs> gotta be the example because you know kids think they read one book and then they're like oh yeah like, no <laughs> no it's not gonna work yeah 
Yeah, so the more you read, it opens your mind and gives you different stories. Exactly. Yeah, totally. I'm going to need you to do a sales pitch to them because they want to fight me sometimes. Yeah. And I'm like, look, the world becomes very, very narrow to those who don't read. Yeah, yeah if yeah. TikTok is the main source. Of- oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I make my kids read every day. 10 minutes to start every class. They have to read every day. Oh, that's good. At first, they were fighting me on it. And now they're just like, oh, okay, I get it. You know, okay. <laughs> Uh, yeah not easy they need to be wider deeper reader hopefully get their kids too so i know right but this is a great session i think uh um yeah the really um nice conversation here and really appreciate all the service you have in teaching i have a, a great teacher i didn't grow up in this education system so i couldn't say much like how i feel when i'm not seeing myself you know which mm-hmm. is uh, true a lot of time very limited role modeling in education especially when i talk about asian so mm-hmm. i always admire all these great talents that uh, we have in education being able to keep them in teaching course yeah, thank, thank you so much, much Jessica. It's, it's, been, it's been an honor to to chat with you and yeah, your students are so lucky to have you. Um so yeah, thank you for everything you do of creating good trouble and igniting the next generation. Thank you so awesome. much for inviting me to have a conversation with you today. Appreciate you as well. <laughs> Take, care. Take care. Okay, Bye. have a good one. Thank you for listening to How She Leads. Special thanks to our guests and to all the educators and women acting as role models and mentors. Music credit to the artist Ketza. Thank you again for listening and look forward to sharing more stories of inspirational women who lead next time.